Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. Joining you here with our guest, Matthew Freeman, the Chief Strategy Officer for FTN Fantasy. And we're going to be talking Week 15 fantasy storylines in the DFS preview for the week into the fantasy playoffs. Matt, I hope that you're doing pretty well. Hope you're in some playoffs this week. Yeah, it's it's going all right. Uh, I'm doing the best in my dynasty leagues, which that's nice because that's those are the ones I I really care about because yeah, I, yeah. I tend to have more of like the the long term perspective when I'm I'm playing fantasy. Those are my favorite types of leagues. So doing all right in those leagues, but man, I mean, uh, if any if there would have ever been a week to have a buy in fantasy, this is the week. I mean, COVID <laughs> chaos has really struck the NFL. And we're going to talk about COVID in a couple of spots, but I think the moral of the story is we're probably just going to miss on some of these games because it's news is changing by the minute as we're heading into this, recording it on a Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. But we'll do our best, uh, starting with that Raiders and Browns game. But let me first mention that FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week right now for annual subscriptions. It's a limited time offer to get our stats analysis, fantasy, and betting info. So don't miss out on that. Go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the description of the show. Okay, jumping to Saturday. There are a couple of Saturday games now that the college season is over with. Saturday at 4.30 p.m. in Cleveland, we got Raiders at Browns. COVID is probably going to be the big story here, but I'm going to mention that uh, there's a 41-degree temperature forecast, 65% chance of rain, 13-mile-per-hour winds, and gust is 27. So pretty major wintry weather concerns here. And I mean, I don't know about you, but like after seeing the Patriots game a couple of weeks ago in Buffalo, I'm I'm a little gun shy here. What are your thoughts on what could happen with the winter weather here? Well, I mean, I think we're going to see a pretty run heavy game here, which mm. is fine, because let's be honest, I'm not interested in starting <laughs> really either of the quarterbacks in yes. this matchup for, for fantasy or for DFS. But, you know, Derek Carr, he really hasn't been the same, mm. uh, you know, over the past six weeks or so. And. I mean, Nick Mullins, who really knows what to expect from him in this game as the third stringer going into an offense that tends to rely on the running game anyway. So I'm looking much more at the two running backs in this game than any of the pass game options. Yeah, I'll say so. I I study weather a lot, and I think there's a pretty marked difference between the like 13 to 27 range than the sustained 27 to 35 mile per hour winds in Buffalo gusts over 40. Like to me, that's a market difference, but even broadly speaking with like general high winds that, you know, that's cutting run plays by 4% per game. You've got to imagine with the more extreme wind, it's going to be more. So that scares me from a certain perspective, even if it's less, but the fact too, with Derek Carr specifically is that like he plays his home games in a dome, which is like a major benefit for fantasy quarterbacks and so I'll say that even if the winds aren't as extreme, the switch for him from being in his typical confines to here could be pretty dramatic. He averages 1.8 more fantasy points per game at home than on the road in recent seasons. That's one of the top rates among current starters. So like, you know, no Darren Waller, obviously no Henry Ruggs, lot limited weapons here. He's barely in my QB2 range at 23rd among quarterbacks this week. Obviously, like you said, not starting the Browns quarterbacks. Could be tough sledding apart from the running backs. Yeah, and and I'm with you in terms of, of the ranking for Carr. Uh, I've got him ranked, I, th- I believe, around QB 20. You know, in, in a, a two QB format, maybe you have to go to him, but you still don't feel good about it. Yeah, uh, we, we've got some questions here on the YouTube chat. Again, we're Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can stream with us live on YouTube. Ask us questions there. We're also on Twitter, Twitch, and Facebook. Joey sucks. He asks, what are my three types of clouds that I prefer? Let's see, date me back to middle school science. I think cirrus 
is it like always an underrated wispy little ones, which I really enjoyed. And then I'll go cumulus and then stratus. Maybe those are cloud types. Couldn't really tell you. Uh, let's keep things on the rails a smidge. And, and for a DFS play, again, I think you're choosing between running backs, if anybody here. I'll mention Josh Jacobs, 6,300 in DraftKings, I think is underpriced. And to me, like part of this is losing guys like Ruggs. Um, you know, they actually ended up losing Kenyon Drake two weeks ago too. But Jacobs has increased his target share from 8.9% before the team's week eight by to 15.7% since his top seven among running backs. So I think he's a good value, even if it hasn't produced in fantasy yet. What say you? Yeah, I think when you are adjusting for for price, uh, I think he's still you know top two, top three in valuation on the slate at the running back position mm, because he is, as you mentioned, he is getting more of that target share. Like one of the great things about him as a prospect coming in from Alabama was that you thought even though he's one of these bigger running backs, he does have a receiving skill set. But for his first few seasons, we never really saw that unlocked. And now we actually are starting to see glimpses of that. So if he can still be the lead runner and getting some usage as a receiver, especially with the win situation, maybe there are a few more checkdowns in this game, then I think he actually does provide some value. He and Hunter uh, Renfro could be pretty busy this game with their yeah. the shallow target abilities there. Maybe he just yeah. needed a new coach. And I mean, maybe some other Raiders did too. Uh, useful was first mentions that cover three cloud is my favorite cloud, which good. I, I wasn't thinking outside the box enough. I'll throw out cloud strife. What are your thoughts on video games? I don't know. I like him a lot too. Uh, let's move on to the Patriots at Colts game Saturday night, 8, 15 PM Eastern time in the dome in Indianapolis. So potentially big change here from that Buffalo game that was two weeks ago before their bye. You're in the dome. There's similarities here between the defenses, but I, you would think the conditions would be dramatically better. Uh, but from the other perspective, how do you treat the Patriots defense as a matchup for Jonathan Taylor? Obviously starting him in every traditional format as your number one guy, but like, what about from a DFS perspective where he's obviously very expensive? You know, I think the big question for this slate, it's a two game slate. I gotta say, I love the smaller slates. I like, think of like the Thanksgiving slate with three games because like there's a, a lot of strategy, but you don't really have all that many options. So I think the big question at running back for this slate is whether you pay all the way up for Jonathan Taylor yeah. or whether you take the slight discount and go to Nick Chubb and hope that Chubb can give you production approximating or coming close to Jonathan Taylor. And so I, yeah. I think it's one of those two. I think you have to have one of those two in your lineup. I, I think it would be really hard to go with Josh Jacobs as your number one running back. But Jonathan Taylor going to... <laughs> going against the Patriots he could have a big game and like the Patriots could be fine with that mm -hmm. think think about the game that they had a few weeks ago against the Titans where they basically allowed the Titans to run all over them and the Titans still were nowhere close to winning that game True. it feels like that could be the type of game state that we see here where you know Bill Belichick kind of as this master defensive schemer he might be okay letting Jonathan Taylor you know, dominate on the ground game, but say you're getting nothing else. We will give you Jonathan Taylor. You get nothing else. And Taylor could have a big game and still the Colts might not find a way to do it. But, e but even if Belichick goes the opposite way and says, we're going to stop Jonathan Taylor. He's your best player. We're going to try to take away the thing you do the best. I think he could still have a pretty good game because he has a three down skill set. We're going to funnel as much of the offense as possible through him. And with his receiving ability, much better as a receiver than we would have anticipated coming out of college a couple of years ago with his three down skill set. 
I do think one way or another, he ends up getting 100 yards and a touchdown. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not, definitely not going to disagree with your final point. I mean, no matter the matchup, uh, with my sort of matchup adjustments that I do, I have Taylor losing 1.6 projected PPR points facing the Patriots, and he's still easily the number one back. Yeah. You know, part of that is he is he's benefiting, I think, for being at home in the dome. It like counterbalances a bit of that, but it's still he's just so so much farther ahead of everybody else that you're not worrying about it again from a traditional standpoint. It's more the DFS specific side of this. What's interesting here is comparing the Patriots and Bills is they're very similar in run defense DVOA. The Patriots are sixth, the Bills are eighth. Um, but there's a big difference between the power success percentage they've allowed. The Patriots are the third stingiest with a 56% power success rate. The Bills are the fifth easiest, 73%. So it seems like, generally speaking, the Patriots are a little bit better equipped to stop a power back than the Bills were. And so I don't know. Like I can obviously see what you're saying about Belichick changing the strategy of the, of the Patriots from week to week, and it may be something that makes sense to let him relatively succeed. But I wonder too, if this is actually a sneakily harder matchup for Taylor than you would expect, given that he's run rough shot over other teams that seem to have good run defenses, but maybe the style just doesn't match. I don't know. I, I'm a little bit of a mixed mind there. And so as like a bit of a contrarian thought, what do you think about Mac Jones as a DFS option? Like, obviously he's a less expensive guy, 5,200 in DraftKings, but I'm wondering if there's value there. I think so much of this is wrapped around the idea that he only threw three passes in his last game in those extreme wins in Buffalo. And it, like, I think it's, it's going to scare people away. I think it, it kind of muted his prices a little bit, but as mentioned, this game is in the dome in Indianapolis domes, increased quarterback yards per attempt and touchdowns per attempt by four and 8%, uh, even for guys on the road. And the fact that the Colts have a better run defense than pass defense tends to cut their opponents run plays and increase their pass plays. So like, getting kind of ahead of it there. Is that a strategy that you would consider here? You know, Mac Jones might already be the best quarterback on this slate. Uh, Derek Carr, Nick Mullins, Carson Wentz. That's the competition. Yeah. It's you pretty, know, so he, mm. he, he really <laughs> already might be like, I would say, think about what the Patriots have done in this past seven game stretch where they've won all of those games. And it hasn't been just winning the games, right? From a, a sports betting Vegas perspective, they've covered the spread in each of those games. They haven't just covered, they've dominated the spread. They've they, like outperformed Vegas expectations by 18, roughly 18 points a oh, game. Yeah. And, and so like they have, they have become so much better than people would have anticipated so much faster. And a lot of that has to do with the maturation of Mac Jones. And if you look at what he's done during that span, he's near the top of the league and expected points added in completion percentage over expectation. Mm -hmm. Now, that, that's not to say that he's tearing it up within this offense, but like that metric indicates that when he's asked to do something as a passer in this offense, he's doing it pretty well. Uh, and so like I'm already thinking, thinking of him in that sort of game manager plus type of category where he's not making mistakes. He's taking what the defense gives him. He's operating within the confine, the confines of that offense really well. And you don't have to pay up to get him mm. and you might already be getting the best quarterback on the slate. So I actually really do like that idea of going with Mac Jones this week. Excellent. All right, let's move over to the Sunday games starting at 1 PM in Buffalo. We got Panthers at bills. Not quite the extreme winds that we saw two weeks ago there, but 35 degrees, pretty cool uh, and clear with 10 mile per hour winds, gust to 21. So maybe a little bit of, of weather concerns here. 
But my bigger fantasy question is, what do you think it means that the Panthers may be platooning Cam Newton and P.J. Walker at quarterback? It probably sabotages both of them as fantasy options themselves, but do you think there are broader implications there? Uh, I mean, I don't I don't know what the broader implications would be other than the fact that it, it will probably have downstream effects for the wide receivers, mm-hmm. but it's still hard to to quantify what those are because I don't know if there's much of a difference between Cam Newton and PJ Walker in the way that you project the yeah. distribution of their targets to all of the other guys in the offense. So, I mean, but you're right. It means you can't start in fantasy either one of these guys, which is a shame because Newton does have that rushing ability that tends to give quarterbacks a little Mm -hmm. bit of a safer and higher floor. But if he's rotating in and out of the game, we can't even depend on that. Yeah. His floor goes from like maybe 20th at quarterback to maybe he won't even play for like half or more of the game, which is that'd be a pretty tough pill to swallow. If you build a DFS lineup around him, Uh, I'll say that like, you would kind of think that Walker would help the wide receivers, honestly, because he's a quarterback that's going to pass more than run relative to, to Newton. So, like, that seems like a good thing, right? But Walker also is, you know, the worst quarterback with 50 or more attempts in passing plus minus per attempt this season. It's just like, you know, the catchable targets may not really be dramatically better because I just don't think he's, you know, very good. And the offensive line is a major problem. So, to me, it's like it's sabotaging all around. Like, you're obviously not starting Newton. You're not starting Walker. DJ Moore dropped a 25th for me this week. Robbie Anderson, 49th. Now that's lower than you would expect because I think the matchup has to do with this too, with again, the bad weather. Bill's still the number two, I think, past defense DVOA. So even if they're a threat for, for running uh, teams, it's like it's not a good spot for any of these guys. So I don't really want to start any Panthers in this game. I think it's a really tough spot. If I was going to start a player in this game from a DFS perspective, I have my eye on Gabriel Davis. He's still very inexpensive at 3,700 in DraftKings, but he really filled in nicely, I thought, for Emmanuel Sanders after Sanders injured his knee last week. He set a season high of eight targets. That's three more than he'd had previously. Played 83% of snaps. That was a season high by 31%. So do you think Davis makes sense here, or do you have maybe some concerns about the pass-run ratio for the Bills as well? You know, I, I have thoughts on Davis. I want to say a quick word Please about do. DJ about DJ Moore because, yes. you know, you mentioned having him in that sort of low-end wide receiver two range. That's exactly where I have him. But I should say, like, I think, you know, we're talking fantasy, but in, in terms of reality, I think DJ Moore is a, a top eight, maybe top five wide receiver mm-hmm. in terms of talent in the league. And so, you know, in Dynasty, I would be trying to acquire him. Uh, in keeper leagues, I would still be trying to acquire him. Uh, this this information is coming from FTN data. He's number one in 37% share of first read targets, mm-hmm. number two with a 42% share of end zone targets, and number four with a 28% share of red zone targets. He is getting premium elite usage, but as you say, he's been sabotaged by quarterback play. So, oh, yes. so even though we don't want to start him in fantasy, I still think if you have him, there's a decent chance you don't have three or four wide receivers who are better than him. So you're probably starting him reluctant, reluctantly. And I would say from the dynasty perspective, go get him. From the DFS perspective, talking about Gabriel Davis, absolutely love him. Uh, <laughs> fantastic value, as you mentioned, 3,700 on DraftKings. Uh, elite, elite value that he provides this week. I think he's one of the top value plays across the week 15 slate. 
Uh, we know he has the playmaking ability, 9.7 yards per target last year, 9.9 yards per target this year. All we have ever wanted for Gabriel Davis is to have the opportunity. I think he gets it this week. We can look back at the splits that he had with and without John Brown. Without John Brown, 67.9 snaps per game, 5.4 targets per game with John Brown. You know, roughly cut that in half, 34.6 snaps, 2.9 targets per game. I think we're going to see usage akin to what he had last year without John Brown. And that makes him, I agree with you, a fantastic value for DFS this week. Man, what a great stat. I think that's great. Everybody get Gabriel Davis in your lineup. And I guess unless you're playing us because we want to use him in ours. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next up, Cardinals at Lions, 1 p.m. in the Dome in Detroit. So there's a lot of injury-related stuff here. It's not just COVID, uh, where James Conner is yet to practice this week. I think he tweaked his knee late in the game last Monday night. Uh, big deal there. Chase Edmonds also coming off of uh, injured reserve. Seems like he's probably going to play. Unfortunately, too, DeAndre Hopkins goes under uh, knee surgery here, is going to miss the rest of the regular season, it sounds like, at least. So there's a lot of changes here with the Cardinals offense. What do you think the big fantasy implications are going to be? Whew. Yeah, we, we got to wait and see. We obviously have Friday practice today with James Conner, whether he gets in a limited tag or whether he's just out and, you know, didn't practice uh, Wednesday or yesterday, you know, dealing with what might be a high ankle issue. They haven't said whether it's just ankle or high ankle. Yeah, uh, obviously a big difference there. If he doesn't practice today, I, I don't think he's playing, which means that Chase Edmonds becomes, you know, assuming he's returning. Edmonds becomes a pretty intriguing RB2 with upside. And then on the receiver front, obviously no DeAndre Hopkins. To me, that makes Christian Kirk uh, the most interesting of the wide receivers. Uh, you know, he will play some on the inside, play some on the outside. He's got great matchups either, you know, either place where he's lining up. Um, in the three games this year where DeAndre Hopkins was out in weeks uh, 9, 10, and 11, Christian Kirk did lead all of the wide receivers in route percentage, uh, led the wide receivers in receiving yards. So I do think he would be the guy to benefit most, but it's not going to be a massive benefit over the others. And really, I would say a tight end, that makes Zach Ertz pretty intriguing yeah. too. Uh, I mean, he he has a chance actually to be the number one pass catcher out of all of the guys, including the wide receivers, in the absence of DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, it's interesting with Hopkins. Like to me, when he's there, there's like a very noted pecking order between the pass catchers on the team. But once you take him out of the equation, it gets really confusing. So like AJ Green went from 5.4 targets per game um, with Hopkins playing to 6.5 without this year. Kirk from 5.2 to 7.0. Rondale Moore from 4.0 to 6.7. And Ertz from 4.5 to 6.3. I know we're dicing up some pretty small sample sizes here. So like, Take this all with a grain of salt. But that means that all four of those receivers were between 6.3 and 7.0 targets per game when Hopkins missed time this year. It's like, eh, who's the number one guy? I don't know. So like, I'm taking that more as like a, an adjustment from your previous expectations. And I'm agreeing with you that I think Kirk is a big beneficiary. I think Moore is a big beneficiary. And I think Ertz is a big beneficiary. Weirdly, AJ Green didn't change as much as those other guys. And I think it's because he's probably playing the most you know, snap percentage, et cetera, even when Hopkins is on the field. So I would say green may be my highest of these guys from a traditional ranking perspective, but like in terms of like a DFS value adjustment, honestly, he probably gets the least out of this news. He's probably just attracting number one cornerbacks at this point. You know, like that, that may be the big difference, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that might be the way this goes. 
You know, it's funny with James Conner, I was already getting kind of weirdly nervous about this because he averaged 0.6 targets per game when Chase Edmonds played this year, jumped to 5.2 without him. Like he went from being at a clear early down only back to an every down back getting tons and tons of targets. And like, it's hard to know like how much of that is like Kyler Murray being out, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I was always kind of a little bit nervous for him. And I kind of agree with you that Chase Edmonds becomes really interesting in PPR formats, especially where I think he's going to get a good amount of work. But, you know, Edmonds and Eno Benjamin are both 210 and 207 pounds, like way smaller than Connor. So I don't know if anybody's going to get into that, like, top 10 ter territory where Connor was if he misses. But, but, you know, but Edmonds, I think, is a really nice fantasy option for you. Uh, could be a good DFS option as well. Uh, I, you know, for, for Joey Sucks asking about A.J. Green, it's like I was a little surprised by this, but I did think he was a pretty good value from FanDuel specifically this week at 5,700. And part of it too, is that I think the lions are particularly a good matchup because, you know, they increase number one receiver yards per target by 14%. So like, while the, the cornerback issue could be big for some future matchups, maybe this week it works out. Okay. What do you think about that, Matt? Yeah. I mean, going against the lions, all of these guys have, have great wide receiver cornerback matchups. Jeff Ratcliffe at FTN always has a, a wide receiver cornerback matchup piece where you yeah. know he's he's looking at that and then he also has a, a grid where you know he grades each matchup and yeah all of these cardinals wide receivers are near the top of the board they all have fantastic matchups yeah maybe good opportunity for a non-traditional cardinal stack when the passing game right if all of these guys are values that could maybe work out for you mm -hmm. okay next up jets at dolphins 1 p.m eastern time in miami 81 degrees and clear here is where we're going to focus the conversation about the COVID absences. Um, I'm not sure the Dolphins are hit as badly as the Browns right now, maybe not even as badly as Washington, but it's like weirdly stacked up where last I checked, again, 1 p.m. Eastern time right now on Friday, Miles Gaskin, Salvin Ahmed, and Philip Lindsay are all on the COVID list. That's all three of their active running backs on their 53-man. So like we're going to have to hope that Malcolm Brown can come back from being on injured reserve for the last couple of months, Duke Johnson on the practice squad, et cetera. I don't know. Like, what do you make of all of this? Does, does the losses there, does the potential loss of Jalen Waddell, does it render everybody like unstartable on the Dolphins? Or do you think it maybe creates value opportunities as well? Hmm. Man, it's Well, Devontae Parker is the guy in the absence of Waddell who really stands out. And so I, I think there's a chance that he becomes fairly chalky uh, in DFS because of, of the upside that he has and the absence of all other wide receivers within that offense. I you know, I'm, I'm uh, known for my skepticism, but I will say that I do think we see Miles Gaskin return based on the, the patterns of, uh, you know, guys being placed on the COVID reserve list, missing a game, coming back in the next week. I do think that there's a chance that we see Miles Gaskin activated later this afternoon or on Saturday and, yeah. and returning to this game. But I don't think that Lindsay will be activated because he was placed on the reserve list this, this week. And I think it's really dicey as to whether Ahmed is activated or not. And even if he is, Ahmed really hasn't been that much of a thorn in the side for Gaskin anyway. Mm -hmm. So, and how I'm looking at these guys right now, how I'm ranking them, I still think that Gaskin ends up playing this week. And, uh, you know, even if Malcolm Brown returns, I do think that Gaskin at worst is a pretty intriguing three, uh, sorry, an intriguing third down back, mm -hmm. but he still has some of that lead back upside because Malcolm Brown coming back from, I, I believe it was a quad or a hamstring, definitely a soft tissue injury. That's not to say that he's going to go out there and like be the lead back or like the early down grinder that he was earlier in the season. Yeah. 
Plus, this is against the Jets. Uh, they're the 31st yes. ranked team in run defense DVOA. They increase run plays by 18% per game. So there may just be enough opportunities for both Gaskin and Brown to go around, assuming both of them can play. Like You obviously really want to be able to use a running back in this spot. Um, with you, uh, big time on Devontae Parker. He's averaged 7.8 targets per game this season. That's top 20 among wide receivers with five or more games started. He's done a lot of that with Waddle. So you figured that if he were clearly the number one guy, as much as Tua is throwing the ball in the RPO heavy offense, that that could really help you in a PPR perspective. Tua, I want to kind of start as well. I mean, I have him 12th in my weekly quarterback rankings, but it's like if he starts losing all of these other wide receivers and stuff, I'm going to get more and more nervous. Like, is there a critical potential loss that would kind of disrupt the idea for you? Like if he loses Waddle, does that mean that Tua is out of all your lineups? I mean, I'm assuming that Waddle is out. Uh, you know, that place on the reserve list, I'm yeah. assuming Waddle will not be returning. Um, but I still have Tua ranked as a low-end QB1. Uh, the, I guess the critical guy is Devontae Parker. Mm-hmm. You know, like if he somehow picks up uh, COVID and is on the reserve list, like plays there today or tomorrow, then yeah, you know, I will be dropping Tua down the rankings. But I also got to say, it, you know, thinking of, of Mac Jones, who we talked about earlier, Tua has had a similar type of progression since he returned from injury in week six. Like he's actually been functioning at a pretty high level within the confines of his Mm -hmm. offense. He's not airing it out, but they are creating and scheming for him in such a way that he is having success in terms of an EPA and completion percentage over expectation type of angle. He is doing what they are asking him to do and doing it fairly well within that offense. So I think this week will be a really interesting litmus test. How can he perform without Jalen Waddle? Mm-hmm. If he does well without Waddle, granted, it's a really soft matchup going against the Jets. But if he can do well without Waddle, I don't know. That's pretty encouraging. 100% with you. I've, I mean, I've been very impressed by the way they're playing, given the, the offensive line limitations. Like, I think yes. it's cool. I know that it, it makes some scouting people really upset, <laughs> but I, I kind of like it. Yeah. Um, let me mention, too, from a DFS perspective, from the Jet to, like, Last I checked, knock on wood, or, or having a little bit better time of things here from a COVID perspective. I think they're going to get Michael Carter, the rookie running back, back this week. He's just 4,700 in DraftKings, and he led all running backs with 7.8 targets per game between his week six bye and his week 10 ankle injury. Are you in on Carter, or do you want to see him play once before you can kind of trust him in your lineups, potentially in the fantasy playoffs? Oh, I, I'm in, you know, I, I think we saw, you know, you, you mentioned the numbers there. We saw a pretty good usage from him. He didn't do much in week one, you know, no. whatever. That was, the, that was sort of like the obligatory Tevin Coleman is the veteran type of game. But <laughs> since, since week two, you know, all the way from there to his injury, he was the guy within that backfield and he was being used in a variety of ways, you know, very encouraging to be used as a receiver out of the backfield Granted, not used as much in the receiving game with Zach Wilson at quarterback. So, like, that's something that does knock him down a little bit. But uh, a guy who's being used like that, I-, I think you have to have him in your lineups. Yeah, Derek Klassen and I call him baby Alvin Kamara. But, again, I'm 100% biased because I went to Chapel Hill, same alma mater. Okay. But uh, I like the receiving and rushing versatility. So, you know what, I, I would definitely play him this week despite the recent lack of, of playing time. All right, next up, Cowboys at Giants, 1 p.m. Eastern time in New York, Meadowlands, 37 degrees clear, 24-mile-per-hour winds with some gusts up to 40. So we're like kind of back in that really windy territory here. Um, I don't think you're probably starting any Giants at this point with their injuries, especially at quarterback. 
Uh, but the Cowboys may be a different story. So what are your thoughts on Dak Prescott already potentially in a slump, depending on if you buy the, the changing of the metrics from the first to the second half, if you buy Jerry Jones there, but also with the tough conditions, like, are you going to pull the trigger on him this week? This is tough. Uh, you know, when you do rankings, you tend to think of sort of like median outcome or like median projection. But when you put guys in your starting lineups, you also kind of have to think in terms of of ceiling and floor and, you know, like the range of outcomes. And I, I think that Dak, even though I still have him ranked as a lower end QB one, I think he's got a lot of downside that mm -hmm. isn't accounted for in your basic rankings. And it has to do with the fact that He's not running the ball as much as he did before the calf injury. He's not throwing the ball as much as he did, especially last year. Uh, and he's not playing as efficiently as a passer. And so, I mean, like what else is there at the quarterback <laughs> position? If, if a guy's not running, if he's not throwing a lot and he's not highly efficient, like what, what is good about this? That sounds I mean, like a slump, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, granted, he's got a great set of surrounding talent and he's got a good offensive coordinator, and those things aren't nothing. Like Those things are enough to make a guy who is talented a low-end QB1, but those things on their own, given how we've seen him play, aren't enough for him to be a fantasy difference maker, and that is really what you're looking for in the fantasy playoffs. So, I mean, I have Dak as a low-end QB1, but it's not as if I'm excited to be starting him in any place. I mean, I think I'm right there with you. I have him 11th in my my uh, true talent quarterback rankings, but he drops to 14th this week in what I think are pretty difficult weather conditions. Another guy like Derek Carr, I'll mention that by playing his home games in a dome, it can make a big difference to go outside in bad weather. He's averaged 6.8 more fantasy points per game at home than on the road. That's third highest among current starters. It's like, you know, kind of shouting back to Ben Roethlisberger a few years ago. Granted, he didn't yeah. play in a dome, but it's like, it's it, it's extreme. And yeah. like, to me, if, if the Cowboys were hundred percent healthy, this game would scream to me, like they're going to just run all over the giants and just like play the game that way. But because they have as many injuries at running back too, and like Elliot's playing hurt, Tony Pollard, I guess we don't know. I think he's probably going to play this week, but he tore the plantar fascia in his heel or whatever. Like who knows how healthy these guys are. It makes it really, really tough for me to tell. I earmarked that Elliot it's 6,700 and Fandle. Like that seems like a pretty good price, you know, high wins, increased run plays by 4%. I mentioned that if it's even more extreme wins, maybe we'll get what we got in the Bills game a couple weeks ago. I don't know. This really stunned me. The Giants, they're 10th in pass defense DVOA, but 27th in run defense DVOA. Like, how did that happen? Dave Gettleman's like, we got to draft more defensive tackles. What's going on right here? But like, I don't know. Do you do you think that they're going to be able to run a lot? Or is like the, the personnel limitations going to make it so that they can't do that, even if they do have a relatively easy time with an inferior opponent? Uh, yeah, I think they're going to to look to run. And you mentioned Ezekiel Elliott on FanDuel. He is someone who stood out to me uh, earlier this week when I was looking at FanDuel pricing. The thing is with Elliott, like he's having a a good disappointing season. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he the the upside of Elliott having twenty plus opportunities in, in any given game, like that's not there anymore. But he still has the elevated floor of like you know he's going to get at least fifteen opportunities in every game. It's just the ceiling isn't there, mm -hmm. and he's not playing as efficiently as he has in previous seasons. So like for a guy who has you know over a thousand yards and will have you know twelve touchdowns to finish the year, like all of that looks decent. 
but you don't feel good with how it is that he's doing it on a week to week basis because the ceiling games are just not there. So if you play him in DFS this week, uh, especially on FanDuel, you're doing it because you're thinking of him more as a value play and a high floor play, not a ceiling play. I think you totally nailed that. So Elliot has 13, 17, 15, 15, 15, and 13 touches in his last six games. Like that's like a top 10 workload among running backs. So you're like, yeah, I mean, you can't really, can't really be that upset by it, but he'd had 20 plus touches in the five games leading into that. So like there's clearly a managing of his workload right now to deal with the injury, but I don't think it means you can take him out of your lineup. Useful was first asked in the YouTube chat. Corey Clement, is he a decent pickup this week with all the injuries for the Cowboys? I'll say that I did project Clement to get a little bit of work this week. And normally when Elliot and Pollard are both healthy, I just project those two by themselves and, and no one else. But like, I don't think that makes Clement even a top 50 option at the position. Like maybe it could happen, but you know, and maybe if I were doing some kind of weird extreme type of lineup and, and you know, a contest or something in DFS, maybe, but like, I would say, generally speaking, no, because I think Elliot and Pollard are both going to play. Do you feel differently? Uh, agree 100%. I think they both play. And that means like Corey Clement, if you had to set the over under for number of carries he gets in this game, if those other guys are both active, I'd set the line at like 0.5. Yeah, I think I feel the same way. Okay, let's stick in the NFC East, then go over to the Washington at Eagles game, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Philadelphia, 37 degrees and clear. But again, 14 mile per hour winds, gust to 31, potentially an issue here. Uh, especially since it it may be the case that Gardner Minshew is getting another start here uh, with with more COVID issues with Hertz. I can't remember what his injury is, but whatever the case is, it seems like Minshew may be playing this week. I'll say that Minshew had a ton of success in his previous start. Do you think that could happen again for him this week if he ends up being the quarterback? Yeah, you have Jalen Hurts who's dealing with that ankle injury, mm, and right, it seems like it it seems like it's more of a high ankle than just a normal ankle, which means that even though he's coming off of the bye he really might best be served by sitting out another week. So we just have to look at the practice reports for Friday, monitor that situation. If Gardner Minshew starts, yeah, I, I think he's startable. And I, I kind of hate to say that, but he's going against a Washington defense that is number one in fantasy points allowed to opposing quarterbacks. Like the matchup doesn't really get much better than what he's going against this week if he plays. I'm not really in love with the surrounding talent there. You know, Jalen Rager is basically a non-entity, a wide receiver who's like running wind sprints. And, and I hate to say that as a guy who went to TCU, but that's just the case. Uh, but, you know, Devontae Smith is coming along as a rookie receiver. Dallas Goddard, I think, is uh, one of the more underappreciated tight ends in the game. So there's some possibility there. Gardner Minshew, yeah, I would think of him as a a QB2 type of player that you could go with in especially super flex two quarterback formats. I don't think I would want to dip down to the point of starting Gardner Minshew in a one quarterback league in the playoffs. Yeah. Like I would, I would pray that I have a better option than that. But I mean, if you're, if you're in dire straits, that's the situation you're faced with. Let's say you have Jalen hurts as your quarterback and he's not able to go. And all the other guys on the waiver wire are already scooped up by your opponents. You could do worse than Gardner Minshew. With you there. I mentioned first useful was Baker or sorry. He changes his name a lot. Useful was first. Uh, he confirms that the high ankle sprain for Hertz. So that is right. Thanks for getting that info for us. And then I'll I'll say that I agree with you on the Minshew front too. I would say, generally speaking, you say that like, hey, don't, don't put too much on his great performance last time. He had an 80% completion rate, 
threw for two passing touchdowns back in week 13, but that was against the Jets. Again, they're 32nd in pass defense DVOA. But as you mentioned, Washington 27th in pass defense DVOA, a hugely beneficial matchup for quarterbacks. So it's hard to say it's really that much worse there. Now I mentioned too, the Eagles 66% pass block win rate on offense is the fourth highest. So it's like, it's a really good situation to throw a backup quarterback into, even if you didn't think Minshew was one of the better backup quarterbacks, which I think he probably is. He's not going to get pressured the way that some of these other guys would in that spot. Feel good about that. Here's my quarterback rankings from 15 on right now. Jimmy Garoppolo, Carson Wentz, Joe Burrow, Mac Jones, Teddy Bridgewater, Taylor Heineke, Ryan Tannehill, Cam Newton, Derek Carr, Ben Roethlisberger, Matt Ryan, and Jared Goff. You may quibble with some of the orders of that, but I think the point that I wanted to make was, even though we're beyond all of the buys, it falls off kind of dramatically a little sooner than you might expect in like that back-end QB2 range. So I think, yeah, I think Minshew is going to probably end up being in there in like the 18 to 20 range among quarterbacks this week if he ends up starting. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to sign off on it. I don't want to start him in a, in a one-quarterback league either, especially in the fantasy playoffs, but – yeah, I would consider it in DFS. I would consider it in two quarterback leagues. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, from a DFS perspective in this game, you know, I looked at Ricky Seals Jones, maybe 4,500 in FanDuel. I know we had just the one catch for eight yards last week with Logan Thomas being out for the rest of the season, but he did have four targets and he does have 5.4 targets per game when he's been the top tight end for the team. That's top 15 at the position. The Eagles have been very friendly to tight ends, especially as touchdown scores this this uh, this year. Would you pull the trigger trigger there on Seals Jones? Yeah, I think there's there's some viability there. The thing that was annoying about last week was that John Bates was getting more usage than he had in mm-hmm. in previous games, and so I don't think it's the the Ricky Seals Jones show where he's out there playing a hundred percent of the yeah. snaps the way that he did in his first stint as the fill in tight end for Logan Thomas. So I don't think he has quite the upside. But you're right; it's a good matchup. He did have four targets. And for DFS at the the lower price here, and we have to wait and see with Terry McLaurin, who is, uh, you know, in the concussion Mm -hmm. protocol. If McLaurin is out, then that makes Ricky Seals-Jones really intriguing. I'm assuming that McLaurin will be cleared and will play. And so that makes RSJ not quite as enticing, but still someone that I, I agree with you. Like, I think he is fantasy viable, especially if you're fine paying down a little bit at the position. Yeah. So we have a question, a start sit question in the YouTube chat. We're going to hold that one to the end, but stick with us, Beard and McGrath. Appreciate it. We're going to get to you a little bit later, but let's finish off the games first. We're still Titans at Steelers in the 1 p.m. window in Pittsburgh, 31 degrees and clear. I think I may know the answer to this, even though I don't like it, but do you think Julio Jones is a fantasy option for you right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say I'm a Julio truther. So like, it's hard for me to say no, uh, yes. but he's, he's not looking as, and I'll just say like, I'm not like a tape guy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, that's not my skill set. but I will say he's not looking like, like his dominant Julio self in yeah. terms of like explosiveness. But that said, you know, he, like he's been old for a couple of years, you know, like, and he has still been productive. If you just kind of look at the numbers of what he has done, uh, when he's been on the field this year and what he did last year, I mean, he's been actually pretty decent 10.9 yards per target since last year. Like that's a pretty good number uh, going against a Pittsburgh defense that I believe is going to be without number one cornerback, Joe Hayden. So that is something in terms of like a a beneficial matchup. 
you know, yeah, I think he is fantasy viable, but I do think you have to limit your expectations for him. I agree. I think he's more of an upside play than a player player you're necessarily like itching to start. I have him 39th at the position in PPR formats this week. I think it probably does help his fantasy value that AJ Brown is still out for another week, at least on IR. But like the upside to me is that he led the team with six targets last week, but he was playing just 45% of snaps and he played 70% plus in three previous games this season. Like to me, so much of the ebbs and flows of this season may have been related to the injuries that he's been dealing with. And I'm, I'm curious if maybe one more re- week removed from being on IR himself, whether that creates a little bit of upside. I would think about it. Now, if I had to start somebody in DFS or in this game, I probably would lean more on Dante Foreman, especially at 5,800 and FanDuel. I think that's pretty dramatically underpriced. And I think it's the reason for that is I think there's a little bit of confusion about his role relative to other running backs, Dontrell Hilliard and Jeremy McNichols. So Foreman is 236 pounds, like one of the bigger backs in football, Hilliard and McNichols, 202 and 205. To me, it's there's like a pretty clear split here between Foreman being the early down back and Hilliard and McNichols being more receiving backs for third down work. And I know that like you don't get to play the Jaguars every week, so maybe you don't get 20 early down carries every week. But to me, like Foreman is more the Derrick Henry replacement. The Steelers are a bit overrated. They're 30th in run defense DVOA, really dealing with a lot of injuries this year being a factor too. But like Foreman's been good. 56% rushing success rate is 11th best among running backs with 50 or more carries. You know, it's not 30 carries a game that a way that it was with Henry, but like if you want me to bet on who's going to score a touchdown for this team, it's Dante Foreman. And I like the value in FanDuel. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I'm with you there. And and you nailed it with the matchup going against the Steelers team that in run defense really has not been, uh, you know, up to their standards of of previous seasons. And Foreman, like he is the big guy in that backfield now. So he should get the goal line carries. He he should get the early down work. And, you know, since the team released Adrian Peterson, he's led the backfield over the past two games with 32 carries. And on that usage, he's had 156 yards and a touchdown. Like that's good enough. That at his salary in DFS, that is good enough. Going against a defense that was just ravaged by an injured Dalvin Cook last week, all of that is good enough. Yeah. All right. I think maybe our last 1 p.m. game, Texans at Jaguars, 1 p.m. Eastern in Jacksonville, 68 degrees and clear. Obviously, this won't be a game where a lot of us will be lining up to watch. Maybe not a lot of us lining up to play players in fantasy this week. So I I just want to kind of read through the timeline of the Urban Meyer scandals this year. Get your thoughts on maybe what your favorite of these scandals was fantasy related or otherwise he hired strength and conditioning coach chris doyle who had been fired from iowa for bullying and making racist remarks he signed and then obviously eventually released tim tebow as his tight end he split the camp snaps between trevor lawrence and gardner Minshew at quarterback potentially delaying the development of his rookie franchise quarterback trevor lawrence he told reporters at one point that he considered vaccination status when making his roster cuts that's illegal um, he famously stayed in Ohio after losing his fourth straight game to open the year. Uh, I think that was maybe in Cincinnati, but he stayed in Ohio, subsequently got filmed dancing, I'll say provocatively with a young woman who wasn't his wife, lied about it and got proven lied uh, on a second footage about how it was that he ended up dancing with her. Uh, that was good. He told reporters that he wanted to both pass and run for 250 yards per game even though the NFL record for most rushing yards per game is 209 yards by one of the recent Ravens teams with a rushing quarterback. Um, he may or may not have benched James Robinson um, until Trevor Lawrence told reporters that he needed Robinson to play more. 
Ooh, he called himself a winner, but called all of the coaches that, by the way, he hired himself on his staff losers in a team meeting. And then he may or may not have kicked Josh Lambeau, great franchise kicker for the team. Maybe that was the last straw. I don't know. What's your what's your favorite of those scandals? What I love is that if you go to Google and you type in Urban Meyer scandal, mm-hmm. it's like you don't know you don't know which <laughs> link to click on. Do that. I'm feeling like, lucky. Who knows what could happen? Yeah, like like Google doesn't know what what to put up at the top because there are so many potential scandals. Um, I mean, I I have to say, <laughs> the Tim Tebow thing just kills me. Yeah, because it's like it's Tebow in in baseball. Tebow is a an analyst. You know, Tebow has never played tight end before. And it's like signing him to play a position for which he is incredibly unsuited. I mean, that that might be my my favorite because it's it feels like the most representative. Like the other stuff is just like uh we'll say it's like bad personal judgment or like management style. <laughs> but like this yeah. is like that's like a football decision. That's like a personnel football decision. And like, if you are the head coach, you need to be able to evaluate players and say like, okay, this guy has this particular skill set. We can use him in this way. And bringing in Tim Tebow seemed like to signify that there is a total absence of that football acumen uh, or football practicality Hmm. in Urban Meyer. So like that, like this is one of the lowest, like this is like the least (laughs) egregious of the scandalous things. But from a football perspective, it might be like the most representative. That one's been really funny to me too, because Mike Tanier over at Football Outsiders has been doing a Tim Tebow mania retrospective this year because it's the 10th anniversary of when he had his run with the Broncos. And you're like, it's it's been 10 years. What is he doing on a football field playing a different position in the preseason? It makes no sense. Yeah. Um, I got to say the 250 passing and rushing yards thing, I think is like a really underrated, hilarious thing that he did. It's like, do you know anything about, about professional football? I think the answer might be no. Uh, let me try to squeeze a little bit of fantasy content out of this game and say that from a DFS perspective, if you like really made me, when I think about maybe playing Royce Freeman at 5,200 in FanDuel, Rex Burkhead. So this is also funny. I think he's ruled out for Sunday. Uh, they said he's ruled out for Sunday, but then he practiced yesterday. So like, I don't really know, but there's a chance that Freeman and David Johnson will be the only two active running backs for the Texans this week. The Jaguars seem to be a pretty good matchup for running backs. Like maybe, I mean, the answer is probably no, but maybe. What do you think? I mean, yeah, you would. The, yes, the Jags, they feel like the type of team you should be able to run against. I, and just one more thing I have to say, this isn't in the scandalous portion, mm. but it is also representative. I thought it was so weird already that the Jaguars were home favorites, three and a half point home favorites. Urban Meyer gets fired and that line moves to five. That is the most <laughs> insulting Ooh, thing that's the, that's ever. Damning. Right. That like professional sports bettors would think this team lost its head coach and now they are more valuable in the betting market. Mm. But uh, so it feels like the Jags should be a team that can be run against. Uh, And, you know, as you mentioned, Rex Burkhead already declared out. There's weird status there. We need to to, (laughs) to keep an eye on that. But Royce Freeman, uh, I mean, I'm not thinking that David Johnson is going to come back and at the age of 130 be the guy who actually leads the backfield and carries. So I would assume that Royce Freeman is the guy. 
I don't know. I'm probably at 5,200. I'm probably still not going to want to invest in him because yeah, I'm just, I'm not going to like, I'm going to feel naked if I put Royce Freeman in a lineup and he does nothing for me. Uh, so I yeah. probably won't be going that way, but you know, I don't know out of the people in this game, maybe I'll say actually on the, on the other side, Laquan Treadwell, slightly mm. interesting, slightly interesting. Cause he's still cheap in DFS and like, he's actually like, it's, it feels weird to say it. He's actually kind of the number one receiver in that offense. He's been playing a lot. It hasn't led yeah. to production, but he's been playing a lot. Yeah. Uh, useful was first pipes in. I didn't include this in the, in the scandals that he traded a first round pick from last year, CJ Henderson to the Panthers for Dan Arnold. I didn't bring that up because I'm a Panthers fan and I like, I don't feel good about that either. I would say Henderson has not really solved the Panthers cornerback problem so far. So I'm not going to go ahead and say that was a bad move necessarily, but yeah, you can potentially add it to a very lengthy list. Yeah. Let's get on from that. Let's move on to the five, the, the 4 PM schedule with some real teams here. Bengals at Broncos four Oh five in Denver, 53 degrees and clear. I don't think this is a big deal, but I'll ask you, do you think Jamar Chase's recent drops are concerning I'll say that he has 12 drops this season per sport radar charting. That's the most among wide receivers by two. His 16.0% drop rate on catchable targets is also the highest among wide receivers. And when you do that per catchable target versus per overall target, it really stands out. 16% of his catchable drops or passes he's dropped this year. Um, I think like dropping problems are similar to like drinking problems like it's it's not it's not a problem until it absolutely is you know what i mean like so as long as the coaching staff is willing to deal with the issues as long as it's like okay we still think that this guy is you know a, a generational talent we want him out on the field he's one of our top three receivers we want to funnel the ball to him and we just live with the consequences of him developing and part of that is him getting through his drops issues so I'm I'm fine with it. And I, like I'll just say kind of big picture context. I don't know if this is predictive, but I, I always like looking at things like this to kind of get a historical perspective. The only two wide receivers in NFL history to have more receiving yards and more receiving touchdowns than Jamar Chase through the first 13 games of their mm -hmm. careers are Odo Beckham Jr. and Randy Moss. Like pretty good. This, like this guy, this guy is putting it up there and you just live with the drops. Yeah, I, I took that from a different perspective, but came to the same conclusion in that Chase is averaging 2.26 PPR points per target. That's the third best among wide receivers with 50 or more targets this season. So that's like, even with the drops, he's incredibly productive from a fantasy perspective. So I think from a fantasy perspective, you don't feel bad about it. And frankly, I've read a lot of research about drops not necessarily being predictive. And while I think there may be a bit of a survivorship bias in some of that research, you know, there are anecdotal reasons to say that this may not be a big deal. Jerry Judy went from a 16.1% drop rate last year, hasn't dropped the pass this year. Deontay Johnson from 12.7% to 3.6% this season. So like the guys that you think of as being these supreme talents at wide receiver, they seem to tend to figure it out. If you, you know, kind of buy into some of those anecdotes too, I'm probably not going to worry about this for Chase unless it happens for multiple seasons. But even still, I don't think that's a detriment to his fantasy production. I mean, he's incredibly valued at that. Uh, and I'm not going to think otherwise anytime soon. On the DFS side of things, you know, I actually had more trouble in this game than any other game finding a player that I wanted to suggest, which is weird. I mean, there's a lot of, of very productive players from a fantasy perspective, but I don't think any of them are really priced at a value. I'll bring up Melvin Gordon at 5,900 in DraftKings, which is maybe mildly underpriced. 
he went straight back after Javante Williams had his breakout game as the, as the lead back with him out a couple of weeks ago, straight back to the 50-50 split last week. 50% snap share for him, 49% for Williams. He had 24 touches versus 16 for Williams. And, you know, Williams is dealing with a, a small leg injury that I don't think is going to leave him out here, but like maybe some upside there with a little bit of extra work if he is, relatively speaking, the healthier back. But is there anybody in this game that makes sense to you from a DFS perspective? Not, I mean, not really. Like, I guess I would say, you know, Jamar Chase is interesting. T. Higgins is interesting. Mm-hmm. On the the Broncos side of things, no one, no one yeah. really stands out to me. I, just, I, I, I would have to say Melvin Gordon is interesting in that, like, he is getting the workload. Uh, Javante Williams probably stands out to me a little bit more because I do think he's just the more talented player at this point. But with the leg injury, he didn't practice yesterday. Uh, you know, he's still expected to play, but we have to look at the practice reports today. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to start those backs, especially in traditional leagues. But I think with all the players affected by COVID and injuries and other weirdness, you're going to find a lot better values if you want to go value hunting this week at running back. Yeah. Let's just keep going then. Falcons at 49ers, 405 in San Francisco, 52 degrees and clear. My major fantasy storyline here is about Debo Samuel. So like he kind of has shifted from being a wide receiver to a running back. Maybe the most interesting story from a real world perspective among fantasy players this season. But do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing for his fantasy value? Uh, it's not good for his fantasy value. I mean, this is sort of like uh, galaxy brain Kyle Shanahan at its peak <laughs> yes. of thinking about, OK, I have one of the most explosive, dynamic, playmaking wide receivers in the league. How can I put him in a box and <laughs> and limit what he can do for me? Uh, and, you know, it's, it's what is weird is that it's not like a Corderell Patterson situation where they've just shifted him to pure mm-hmm. running back. He's still lining outside at wide receiver and in the slot at wide receiver a good percentage of the time. Yeah. But they are putting him in the backfield more. And not all of his carries are coming as a running back. Some of them are kind of on the jet sweep type mm-hmm. of situations. So it's weird because there's no reason for why they couldn't still be giving him more targets. It's just that some somehow they're they're funneling touches to him as a runner, and then the targets that used to go to him, yeah. they're now going over to Brandon Ayuk, and then of course George Kittle returning is getting more than his normal share of targets. It is a really weird situation. So I still have, you know, and he's getting the touchdowns, but that can be kind of fluky as a mm-hmm. runner. I still have him as a wide receiver one in the rankings, but like it feels really unstable to have him ranked there. You know, I, I don't, I don't like it, but I still think that's where he needs to be ranked. I'm glad you brought up the touchdown piece of this. Cause I'll say that if you've only been looking at his fantasy production, you may not have noticed the change that much because he has run in five touchdowns in his last four games. That being his like period as being a running back more than a wide receiver, but those touchdowns have come from three, eight, 20, 25, and 27 yards away from the end zone. And while I think it's true that he may be the most gifted after the catch or like after contact, whatever you want to say, player in the NFL, that still strikes me as a, as a pretty fortunate run of things. Looking at like where he touches the ball relative to other players, we're seeing that he's had five rushing touchdowns versus 1.6 expected rushing touchdowns. I would expect him to have a surplus there, but like I think – three touchdowns would have maybe been more what you would expect with this, like where he's seeing the ball in the field. And that would be such a huge difference from a fantasy perspective. 
31.8% target share in weeks one to nine was the third highest among wide receivers. 11.3% since it's like 90th. It's like a unbelievable, huge drop in workload. And like you, I don't really feel good about where I'm projecting him, but I'm saying that, okay, I'm giving him 6.8 carries this week, 55 uh, rushing yards or wait, sorry. That was, that was the average over the last week. I'm giving him 0.26 rushing touchdowns this week and 4.6 targets this week. And that settles him in as the 17th wide receiver for me in PPR formats. Better from a standard league perspective, but you know, you're starting him, but he's top five in price in both DraftKings and FanDuel. And like, to me, whether I feel like I'm wrong or not, like I'm not going to pay up for that kind of extreme price, given that he's just not seeing the targets right now. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, but from a DFS perspective, um, you know, Kittle is probably a good option, but I like to look a little bit at the Falcons here too, where Russell Gage He's 6,000 in FanDuel. Uh, that's, I think it's 400 underpriced, maybe not like a standout, standout value, but he has a 24.7% target share since week eight. That's when Calvin Ridley left the team. That's tied for 17th highest among wide receivers, right next to Hunter Renfro, a guy that I think everybody's called on to the fact that he's seeing tons of targets, Renfro is, but like Russell Gage has been right there as well. So like maybe I would think about starting Russell Gage. It does seem like the 49ers are particularly weak at cornerback maybe more so than in other areas of their coverage. Like, would you go with Gage this week? Yeah, and I like that you mentioned the cornerback situation because I think that is uh, one of the areas where Gage does have a pretty advantageous edge. Um, he's going against slot cornerback Juan Williams, who's allowed, I think this is an outrageous number, 82% catch rate in his coverage this year. Uh, and, you know, with Gage being in the slot, you do expect him to have more catchable targets coming in his direction. And he's had 33 targets over his past four games. Like he is being used as a sort of like de facto, you know, by default, number one wide receiver. Like, I don't feel great about it, but with the matchup he has and with the usage he's getting, that that's good enough. And, and I'll just say, you know, from the, the sports betting perspective, like thinking of, uh, how you project games and then how that impacts the way it is that you view these guys from a fantasy perspective. I think the Falcons are undervalued in this game. Like Kyle Shanahan has clear places where he historically underperforms uh, like against the spread or where like his team is historically overvalued and they're overvalued at home. They're overvalued as favorites. And both of those things aligned this weekend. <laughs> like they, they're home favorites, and, and Kyle Shanahan has a notoriously bad record against the spread as a home favorite. Uh, un road underdogs are 15 4 and 1 against the spread against Kyle Shanahan's 49ers. Like that is outrageous. So even though on paper we could look at this situation and say the 49ers are very good, much better than the Falcons. I think the Falcons will do better in this game than people expect. And like that Falcons doing better aspect kind of flows down to their players in fantasy. So that makes me maybe a little more optimistic on Russell Gage this week than I would be otherwise. I mean, it sounds like a potential for a little bit of a Falcons revenge game against their former offensive coordinator. <laughs> Love yeah. to see that. Um, all right. We're to the 425 game uh, games We're we're going kind of long here. Sorry, Matt, but, uh, a lot of really good, interesting stuff to talk about this week. We're the Seahawks at Rams 425 in LA in the Dome. Uh, my major question here is, do you trust Rashad Penny after a week 14 breakout that I would say was several years in the making for the number one former first round uh, running back draft pick? Do you buy into what he did last week? Think he can kind of keep that going? 
do I do I trust him? Like no, but <laughs> but it helps that Alex Collins isn't mm. going to be available for this game. Yes, uh, and so I think he has a a longer runway here. And so I'm thinking of him as you know being on that RB two RB three borderline, but with some upside from there. Yeah. So I think I agree that the upside is there, but like I have him dramatically lower in my rankings, and I realize that I'm kind of standing out a little bit of this. Um, I think I have him. 39th in PPR formats this week, 33rd in standard. So really low. And to me, so we had what 138 yards and two touchdowns last week. To me, that really screamed matchup. So last week he was facing a Texans team ranked 28th in run defense TVOA. They increased run plays by 13% per game. They increased yards per attempt and touchdowns per attempt by 13 and 27%. Really good spot. Really good spot there. Who does he play this week? The Rams. They're second in run defense TVOA. And they cut run plays by 13% per game. And to me, I think the Seahawks may be particularly sensitive to the quality of the run defense they face because they have a really bad offensive line. They rank 10th worst in run blocking with 4.09 adjusted line yards. So to me, yes, Penny may end up dominating the backfield in touches this week. I think that probably is the case, although Travis Homer maybe being back could kind of funnel some targets away from him too. But like, this, this screams to me like it could be like a 12 carry for 30 yard type of game with like huge downside potential. Am I overthinking the matchup angle with this or do you think that's a possibility as well? It's a it's certainly certainly a possibility. I think there's a wide range of outcomes with Rashad Penny this week. But, uh, you know, honestly, maybe I'm just maybe I'm a little too high on him, a little too optimistic. But it's a situation with um, the Seahawks where they just natively like to run the ball and then. No Tyler Lockett. We have to check and see what's happening with some of their other wide receivers. DK Metcalf uh, didn't practice on Wednesday and Thursday. I'm imagining he plays this week, but like that's not a certainty. And yeah. their other wide receivers, uh, Dwayne Eskridge and Freddie Swain, neither one of them practiced on, on Wednesday and Thursday. So they could be in a really bad pass game situation, and yes. that would make them lean all the more towards the run. I'd say keep an eye on our projections because those are very liable to change in this game and other games heading yeah. into the games on Sunday. It could be really, really kind of a wonky week. Um, and frankly, I don't even know if I should bring this up from a DFS perspective, but I, I tabbed Odell Beckham as a value. Like, is he pl- like, I know he's on the COVID list now. Does he have time to clear? Do we even know? No, I I'm very skeptical that he yeah. plays this week. He was placed on the COVID list on December 14. Like, I think that puts him uh, like maybe kind of right on the cusp, like in the most optimistic sense. But I, I do not expect him to play this week, which makes me like pretty optimistic on Van Jefferson. Yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed Van Jefferson. He's been like the leader in expected touchdowns over the last like six or seven weeks among wide receivers. So even if the target share hasn't been there, like I think his fantasy value is definitely underrated. That's a possibility. But I'll, I'll also say that like with all of the like COVID uncertainty that's happening right now, it's risky to hold these guys to the 425 games because you may not know what's going on uh, until it's too late to put in substitutes. Makes it, it pretty tricky. And I mean, I think some of those issues could be an irrelevant concern here for the Packers at Ravens game at 425 in Baltimore. 45 degrees and clear with some wind here, 14 miles per hour, gust of 31. I'll say that Lamar Jackson, not dealing with COVID, but dealing with the, the ankle injury, right? Like, is he somebody you would think about waiting to start? Or do you think you need to come up with an answer before the 425 window, thinking that chances are that maybe he won't be able to go? I mean, hopefully you're able to get Taylor Huntley as the the, the plug and play 
Um, if Lamar Jackson plays, you know, I think he's obviously a, a QB one, but with the ankle injury, like his upside is limited. Um, you know, honestly, I mean, I don't want to say it would be better if Taylor Huntley starts because like he, he doesn't have that upside of Lamar Jackson, but he would be serviceable if you had to play him like he has, he has done well enough and he's got the running ability to give him that higher floor. So Lamar Jackson, I'm honestly skeptical that he even plays this mm. week. I'm I'm looking more at Taylor Huntley. So yeah, Huntley has averaged 6.5 carries and 42.5 rushing yards per game. So like I kind of buy into that a little bit as well. That may be your best option. Like I'm assuming you probably can't get Taysom Hill at this point, but I do have him 11th among quarterbacks this week. We're going to talk about him in a second. Justin Fields comes after this, um, but I have him 28th. Like he's another runner, but to me, I don't know. Like the passing production hasn't quite been there. So I'll say that like if you're going to be able to wait for Lamar, the player that I might have an eye on is Jimmy Garoppolo, who I have 15th among quarterbacks this week. I just think it's a really plus matchup for him against the Falcons, who are 29th in pass defense DVOA. So I'll say that like if you don't have an earlier option that's any good, Garoppolo may be somebody on the wire that you can kind of back uh, him up with. But yeah, like Lamar, I think you're going to start him if he plays, but I, I'm definitely very nervous. I, I do like the uh, the Jimmy Garoppolo call out there. And I think you're right. I think he would be available on waivers in most leagues. And I'm right there with you. I have him ranked number 15. So from a DFS perspective, I don't know if I'm actually going to gonna go with this, but I'll bring up that Alan Lazard, 4,000 in DraftKings. He piqued my interest because last week he ran 17 routes from the slot with Randall Cobb going on IR, something that I didn't really necessarily expect to happen. I mean, Lazard is massive. He's like six foot five and 227 pounds. But he did that slot work and ended up seeing season highs of seven targets and six catches. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit intrigued there. Derek Klassen said it was actually really more playing of a tight end type of role, which I think is intriguing. Would you would you pull the trigger on Lazard or are we getting a little bit too deep for you even in DFS? It's interesting. I wouldn't pull the trigger on it, but I can see it, especially if you are in GPPs looking to stack. Mm-hmm. Then I can I can see that, and especially if you want to get kind of weird and not <laughs> g- not go with Devonte Adams, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, then I think Alan Lazard. If you imagine a world in which Aaron Rodgers has a great game, but Devonte Adams doesn't score a touchdown, and that's possible. Like we've seen Alan Lazard have two touchdown games before, so yeah. I would think of this more as the the kind of game theory GPP type of play where you can go cheap at the position, still have some upside with that player, and that enables you to invest really heavily in some high end uh, high end running backs. I mean, and you could potentially just stack like you could put Adams and Rogers in your lineup, and then bring in Lazard, you know, bring in Mar- yeah. Marquez Valdez Scantling who are cheaper just kind of on the theory that the Ravens are running out of healthy bodies at cornerback. And like, that's, that's true. Missing their shocking. top two, yeah. missing their top two perimeter cornerbacks. It, it could be a really tough spot for the Ravens this week, especially if Lamar is unable to go. So intriguing there. Okay. Two more games to hit on. I know we're over an hour, uh, but yeah, we're, we're rolling with this saints at bucks, eight twenty PM Eastern time, Tampa uh, in Tampa, seven, two degrees in clear. Um, with Alvin Kamara and Leonard Fournette, obviously two of the more valuable runners uh, from a fantasy perspective this season, but like from a DFS perspective, are you nervous because of the quality of run defenses they're facing this week? Uh, yeah, but I mean, I will say just from the the kind of raw perspective of, of how it is that you would have these guys ranked uh, across the board, I still have Kamara in the top five. I have Fournette in the top eight. And so yeah. especially if you're thinking from the DFS perspective, 
I mean, you have to start one of these guys probably in, in a showdown matchup. Uh, and in season long, if you have them, you're still starting them. The Watch with Fournette, though, because he did miss practice this mm-hmm. week. There are some concerns that he actually might not play and that all of a sudden, you know, it's going to be Ronald Jones season. Um, but I'm I'm still skeptical on, <laughs> on that front. But if Fournette is out there, I mean, yeah, I, I think even in a tough matchup, you're starting him. Fournette has been one of the better receiving backs. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one really would have expected this years ago, but Fournette has actually been a, a very capable receiving back this year. But I don't want to go overboard. He's been consistent. He's been getting regular targets each week as a receiver out of the backfield, and that gives him a pretty elevated floor. Yeah, this is kind of pie on my face because like I was the one last year being like, look at Fournette's really bad drop rate. It was 14.3% last year, regular season plus playoffs. Uh, that was one of the top five among running backs, and he was getting kind of a lot of targets. It's it's much better, 8.6% on 70 catchable targets this season. He's actually seen more targets already this year than he did last year all season. It's like, wow, including the playoffs. So he's really kind of evolved into a three-down back, and it's it cracks me up because of the matchup, but – Fournette and Kamara are tied third among running backs with 6.0 targets per game this season. And so I would say that like, while you would think of Fournette as being like that power guy, kind of like Ronald Jones, if Jones still had that role, he's a three down back. And I think the targets are going to insulate him from any matchup, including the saints who do rank first and run defense DVOA. I actually have them both top five at the position this week. So I'm not running away from them in any sense. Now from a DFS perspective, this actually may be the, the stranger angle in my mind. I'm looking at Taysom Hill at 7,400 in FanDuel, which I think comes as a bit of a surprise because while the Bucs don't have the number one run defense DVOA, they did last year, and they've been the number one cutter of run plays per game. I think teams are afraid to run on them. But I'll point out that running quarterbacks have had a lot better success against the Bucs than running backs. Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, and Josh Allen are the main three they faced this year. Hurts went 10 for 44 and two running. Fields, 8 for 38, and Josh Allen, 12 for 109 in a a touchdown last week in week 14. So, like, you think Taysom Hill, like, is this this too good of a defense where the the turnovers may be coming, or do you think that he's going to be able to run on the Bucs too, like he's done his last two starts as well? He's really interesting to me. Like, I don't think this is uh, an egregious DFS play. He he is certainly intriguing because, I mean, we saw it last year in his four games as the fill-in starter for Drew Brees, a very high floor. We've seen it two games this year, a very high floor. A lot of yes. it is is boosted because of the rushing ability. One thing that gives me just a little bit of hesitation is that a lot of his production this year has come in, in pure garbage time mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter. And so that does make him vulnerable to a benching and, you know, Trevor Simeon potentially coming in. Like, I don't think that's likely, but like it's probably likelier than most people think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But still. I think in terms of like your median outcome, yeah, Taysom Hill has a very high floor because of what he does, because of how it is that he accumulates yeah. fantasy points. And it certainly makes him viable week to week in fantasy for DFS and even, you know, season long. If you have him, the odds are you're probably starting him in the playoffs this week. Mm-hmm. I agree. I have him as a back end QB one. So I, I'm definitely starting him in the playoff. And it's a kind of a weird spot, but that's where I am. All right, one more game to hit on the Monday night game, Vikings at Bears in Chicago, 35 degrees and clear. We teased this a little bit earlier, but do you think Justin Fields is startable maybe in your deeper fantasy leagues or your two quarterback leagues, or do you think it's it's a little bit too risky? 
I think he is startable. I think you mentioned you have him in the 20s. Uh, I, I'm a little more optimistic on that, in part because of the running that we've mm-hmm. seen him uh, have the past the past few weeks. I have him more as like a mid-range QB2. And so like close to Russell Wilson, for instance, yeah. you know, like not all that far behind Jimmy Garoppolo. So like I wouldn't want to start him, but if I had to, I would feel okay-ish about yeah. it. Honestly, I think I may be a little bit too low because my projections are relying a little bit more on the full season sample. But like there's a market improvement we've seen with Fields averaging 19 pass attempts and three carries per game in his first three starts, all the way up to 29.6 pass attempts and 8.2 carries in his last five healthy games. Um, that was out week 11 when he left early with the rib injury. But it's like it seems like the Bears have finally like adjusted their offense to doing some things that maybe better fit what Fields' strengths are downfield passing, letting him run a little bit more when he gets into trouble. So like, yeah, like I think that maybe makes a little bit more sense in fields since week six has a 28.4% carry share. That's not up in the Lamar territory around 35%, but it's just behind Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen. So it's like, he really is like your classic could be a lot better from fantasy than a real life perspective as a quarterback this year. Um, Like even assuming long-term he's going to be better in both respects, but like I could absolutely see him being a QB2 this week, and I feel like I may be a little bit too low on him. Uh, One last DFS thing to mention here. Um, It seems like with Adam Thielen out, K.J. Osborne has been a big beneficiary, jumping up from that 48 to 63% snap share weeks 2 to 12, up to 92 and 88% the last two weeks. So, like, Osborne's still pretty cheap at 4,500 in DraftKings. Would you pull the trigger there and, and like, a full slate thing? Yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly I think KJ Osborne has value. You mentioned there the, uh, the snap rates that have massively increased, uh, since Adam Thielen went out of the lineup. Uh, I would say like from a, a sports betting perspective, thinking of, of player props, uh, I would be looking over, uh, his reception total, his yardage totals. Uh, both of those, uh, were, you know, good values last week. I mean, KJ Osborne is, uh, it's not to say like he is playing the Adam Thielen role, but he is yeah. getting much more usage coming his direction because there is no Adam Thielen and because they can't give every target to Justin Jefferson. <laughs> I mean, they'll, they can try, but right. maybe it helps yeah. to have another guy. Yeah. yeah. All right. Woo. I mean, that was a jam-packed show, Matt. So thanks for sticking with me, providing all of that great insight. I'm sure all of our fans want to know like what you have going on at FTN Fantasy or otherwise, how people can check out all of your great work. So uh, I have a fantasy football breakdown that comes out on Friday. It's it's already live on the site. I actually, I finished it the earliest I've ever finished it. I finished <laughs> it on Wednesday and then it's like, of course, uh, chaos so strikes. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so the, the fantasy football breakdown, you can find that on FTN Fantasy. I published that on Friday. On Thursday, I published a best bets article. On Tuesday, I published the fantasy football rankings along with Jeff Ratcliffe. I update those on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then we have in the FTN bet tracker all of my NFL sides, totals, and player props. You can find all of that information there. And then, of course, I'm doing a podcast video shows. I have the Freeman Fantasy Football Show and the Degenerate Sports Betting Show. You can find the <laughs> very originally named, by the way. Yeah, accurate, possibly appropriately titled. Yes, yes, accurate descriptions of what those shows are. Uh, you can find those on on YouTube, uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Matt F the Oracle. It's not that I think I'm really all that smart with the the handle. It's just because of uh, the the league that had the show with the kid named Matt Friedman, who was the Fantasy Football Oracle. I mean, 
I think you're you're really smart. So there you go. I would encourage everybody that's watching and listening along to us this week to, to check out Matt work and all the great stuff over at FTN Fantasy. I'll mention one more time too, FO Plus on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. So check that out at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. And then for everybody sticking with us on the, uh, the FO uh, channel on YouTube, we appreciate that. We're going to have a pretty full week next week leading into the Christmas holiday, Monday through Thursday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch us live there or check us out after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. So thanks so much. If you're in your fantasy playoffs, great luck to you in week 15. If COVID is striking, again, hit us both up on Twitter. We'll help you out with your lineups as best we can down to the wire on Sunday. Best of luck again, and we'll, we'll circle back to you guys again next week.